Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show, across the nation. Uh, I feel like I got to apologize to Gail again if she's still listening. I, I cut her off very abruptly while she was talking. I ran out of time and I, I got to the last thirty seconds and uh, had a hard time. It, it, her her voice got dimmed as is. The countdown was coming in my ear. I couldn't really hear her and had to cut her off. And I feel bad about it because I liked what she was saying. More of that, please. Um, in any event, what she was referencing is a piece I wrote. And I guess I'll talk about it here. Since Gail's the one who brought it, I wasn't going to bring it up. But I might as well bring it up. Uh, so I wrote a piece the other day. Let's, well, this isn't anything about what I was going to talk about, but I might as well talk about it. So I got interviewed by Reuters. They're doing a piece on CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, is going to do a CPAC conference in Hungary and Budapest. And there's this enamoring of Viktor Orban on, on the right, Tucker Carlson made it very prominent. Uh, my buddy Rod Dreher has written about Viktor Orban and, and Hungary and the uh, use of the government to sustain the cultural conservatism of Hungary, even fighting back about the European Union. What's going on here is what isn't said but is happening, you should probably understand, is that there is a portion of the right who is abandoning Andrew Breitbart. There's a portion of the right that is leaving Andrew Breitbart's ideas and worldview behind. Now, I assume most of you know who Andrew Breitbart is. The, the stories about Andrew are, are legend. I one time had that guy. I've still got his cell phone number. He's been dead a number of years now. God rest him. Uh, Andrew Breitbart was in Hollywood, uh, and he was a brilliant mind, really a nice guy. And he would call me sometimes. I got a call one time from him at 3 o'clock in the morning. Literally 3 o'clock in the morning, my cell phone rings, wakes my wife and me up. And we're talking, and he says, oh, gosh, I forgot about the time change. It's only midnight here. I'll talk to you later. And he hung up. Another time he called and he was on the 405 in L.A. and, and the police pulled him over for talking on a cell phone and, and had to abruptly get off and like three weeks later remembered to call me back and finish the conversation. And I didn't know him well, but I had a, had a, had a, a good friendship with him nonetheless. But Andrew Breitbart said something and it was not his of origin. I believe it was Paul Weirich who was one of the first people to say it. He was a, a legend of the conservative movement. It may not even have been Paul. But Andrew really brought it to prominence, and he would say repeatedly, culture is upstream from politics. And Andrew's argument was you've got to engage in culture in order to affect politics. And the reason politics is becoming more and more of the left is because culture is becoming more and more of the left. And if you want to fix politics, you got to fix culture and make people more culturally conservative and bring them into politics. The flirtation of the right with Hungary and Viktor Orban is actually a repudiation of Andrew Breitbart's worldview. And the essential argument is now that the politics and public sphere can contain and control culture. It's the opposite of what Breitbart argued. 
Victor Orban uses the tools and administrations and public policies, politics and laws of Hungary to control the cultural convictions and conservatism of the country. He keeps a very tight border, only allowing in certain immigrants of certain kinds who he believes will assimilate into the country. He controls the media institutions. He's more authoritarian than people on the right would have you believe. Uh, and he can do it all by being a very powerful executive, something the United States doesn't really have, even though it seems like the president is very dominant. The Constitution is structured for Congress to be the dominant party. That's why it's first in the Constitution. It's not three equal branches of government. Congress is supposed to predominate. Congress has ceded a lot of power to the president, but it does not mean that that is in perpetuity. And there is a segment of the right that is less conservative and more populist nationalist that wants to use the power of government to to impose a cultural conservatism on the country. And essentially, they want to preserve a status quo or a reversion to a time of cultural conservatism in the country. They want to use the government to get there. My subtle point in in this piece that uh, the caller was talking about is Psalm 73. See, here's here's the dirty little secret that if you are a Christian with a Christian worldview, you know even if you don't articulate it. This world is going to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You're not ever going to be able to constrain the culture to a level of conservatism uh, without giving in to the authoritarianism and the totalitarianism that eventually... Uh, collapse the underpinnings of a Christian worldview. You're going to have to become what you hate in order to do it. It's possible. Do you wish to become what you hate? Do you wish to become the totalitarian or authoritarian, imposing by with your will your worldview on everyone else, which just breeds and fosters resentment, and ultimately you, like Ozymandias, get swept away? The world hates the things of God, and you have to remember that. So trying to impose a level of Christianity on the country, even a cultural Christianity, with a country that is moving further and further away from it, it's only going to fuel the backlash. There are ways to do it, however, that don't fuel the backlash, and that is to be local, to love your neighbor, to reflect your faith in society at large as opposed to trying to impose it from government and make a cultural Christianity. You know, there are a lot of people out there who are cultural Christians who never darken the door of a church, who behave just like the left, but in ways a lot of people on the right find comforting or or don't find discombobulating. Psalm 73 talks about that, where the, the rich, the successful and the popular seem to be the people who mock God. They seem to be the people who don't have a care in the world. This was back in in the days of um, King David's reign. They were the fat ones. Nowadays, the the rich go in and have plastic surgery and liposuction and get the washboard abs. Back then, the fat ones, they were the rich ones. They were the ones who were well-fed. Fatness was a, a, a signifier of their wealth. And they didn't seem to have a care in the world. They seemed to be hostile to people of faith. They seemed to be hostile to God. And you know what? They were, and they were very successful, and, and that's kind of the point of the psalm, Psalm 73, 
is that you have to understand the secret to navigating this world is that the people who seem most hostile to the things of God are the ones who are probably going to be the most successful. And we need to understand this as an act of mercy because this is literally the best they're ever going to have it. The moment they die, all the way through eternity, will be far worse than what they have now. However, for you, this is the worst you will ever have it. The scoffers, the mockers, the people who ridicule you for your faith, the persecutors, you may be miserable in this world, and it is literally the most miserable place in eternity you will ever exist. Everything after this will be far better. you got to get through it. you got to persevere. Don't take the easy way out. Persevere and get through it. That's the point of the psalm. God puts them in a slippery place, and they fall quickly, swiftly. The Harvey Weinsteins of the world. Just one day he's like the lion of Hollywood and nothing can get done in Hollywood without him. The next day he's in jail. And sometimes they die fat and rich. And you look at it, you're like, this isn't fair. This person hates everything righteous. This person hates everything just. This thing, this person hates everything good. Why are they successful and I'm not? Why do they have the private jet and not me? Why do they have the beach house and not me? Why do they have all the popularity and not me? Well, because it's mercy. Because they'll never know anything better. In fact, everything they know afterwards is far worse. That's kind of the point of it. And so the, the point is for people of faith who are in politics is be someone of faith, be salt in the world, be light in the world, but don't think you're going to impose yourself ultimately on the world because the things of the world hate you. And what you will find is that in Washington, D.C., if you get involved in politics, there are a whole lot of people in politics who embrace your worldview because they view it as their means to power. They love Jesus and babies. And when you get them behind closed doors, they're just as bad as the people you hate. They have affairs as well. Dare I mention the words Ravi Zacharias, who did a lot of good in advancing the kingdom and turns out to be a terrible person behind the scenes. But it's really, I'm talking about a lot of the politicians. I've met politicians who behind closed doors laugh at and mock the people of faith, the sincere people of faith. I know a guy who worked for a U.S. senator who watched the senator at the March for Life stare out his window. He was a senior-ranking senator and had a great view of the Capitol, of the lawn, of the mall, and would mock the pro-lifers. But then would go speak to him because he loves Jesus and babies. And, you know, the, the hard thing is on both sides, but particularly on the right, you buy into this, that, oh, these people, they really love me because you're looking for earthly affirmation. You really want to believe that these people who really don't like you pretend to like you. You want to embrace them because they pretend to embrace you and they really don't care for you. You're just a means to an end. You are a vote to keep them in power. And then you wonder why things don't change. You know, Republicans for years controlled the White House and the Congress. Did they ever stop funding Planned Parenthood? Did they ever even fight? No, 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 no. The filibuster, you know, couldn't do it. 
couldn't do it, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't fight. Donald Trump got in, and he actually, through executive order, was able to do what George Bush had never done, and George Bush was an amazingly pro-life president. But Trump's not really one of you. The number of people who want to argue over Trump's faith and stuff when, I mean, have you ever been in a room and you've asked him, has he ever felt the need to repent of anything? One of the key requirements of being a, a Christian in particular is repent and be baptized. Has he ever repented of anything? No, he said repeatedly, never had a reason to. Not to relitigate the, the, the faith or lack thereof of the president of the United States, just to say that a lot of people of faith embraced him as, as their chief defender and, you know, you're not going to actually get a, a an earthly defender for spiritual problems. The God of the universe is on your side, and a lot of people decided that they needed someone on earth to protect them instead. And all it did is it, 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 it dammed up the antagonism, and now we're seeing the dam burst with Trump gone. And the antagonism, now people are like, oh, now we need a Viktor Orban. We, we, need, we need someone else to impose a cultural conservatism on the country. We need someone else to put politics upstream from culture and impose our will through the political process on the culture. You're not going to sustain it. You're building houses on the sand. The world is going to burn. Before then, it's going to turn hostily on you. The key to the protection isn't to unplug from politics. It's not. I'm not telling people to cede the field to the left. I'm not. But what I am telling you to do is to be far less obsessed with the things out of your control in Washington and far more obsessed with the things in your local community you can be focused on and actually have an impact on and actually fix to love your neighbor and seek the welfare of your city, there you make remarkable change. Everybody's looking for political solutions to spiritual problems, and those spiritual problems affect the culture and everything else. If you actually want to do it, stop looking for a politician to save things and to save you and to protect you, and instead, go do it yourself by being a good person in your community who lifts up your community and helps others selflessly. That has a cascading rippling effect. But I just, I, I, I think to circle back, one of the things that's happening in, in on the right right now, not really of conservatism, but of this new right that's cropping up, the post-Christian right, the, the nationalist populist movement is they've decided Andrew Bright, they can't bring themselves to say he was wrong, but they're subtly acknowledging he was wrong where they no longer think that culture is upstream from politics and we got to play in culture and show culture that conservatism is worth it and with it and, and, and has the answers for life. And instead, they're deciding, no, politics is upstream from culture and we're going to control politics and impose our will on culture. And it's kind of a fool's errand if you ask me. I want to cut corners and just get to the chase. A lot of you hear podcast ads and radio ads for Bull and Branch, and you're thinking, eh, they're just telling you it because they're getting paid. I'm actually telling you it because I'm a customer. We actually have Bull and Branch sheets, and yes, they are an ad. Yes, this is an ad, but yes, I really am a customer. I only like to do ads for companies that I really like, and I love Bull and Branch. So does my wife. My wife actually heard the ads, and she wanted to try the sheets, and now they are the sheets in our house. Bull and Branch does not cut corners. They make super soft, wonderful sheets. They use the softest organic cotton they can find. They get better with every wash. They soften and soften and soften, and they only use 100% sustainable raw materials. They're the first fair trade certified manufacturer of linen. You can feel as good about your Bull and Branch sheets as they feel against your skin. 
They are so soft. They don't get too hot. They don't get too cold. They're just great. And every wash improves them. That, I'm telling you, is one of the coolest things about these sheets. It's like sleeping on a new bed every time you wash the sheets. It's great. Now, you can experience the best sheets you've ever felt at bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code ERIC at checkout. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Real quick, uh, I sent out recipe in the noontime hour. I told y'all I'm doing these every week. Uh, it is this chicken taco, and it's a really good chicken taco recipe. And it's really easy to make. I make it a lot on Sundays now. Um, gosh, but it also has like a, I, I did the fancy word, chipotle aioli. You know what aioli is? The fancy word for mayonnaise. But it's a chipotle mayonnaise that is really good. It's so easy to make, too. Um, the whole recipe is super easy to make. You can get it by texting recipe to 33777 if you want. Now, to the phones. Arthur, you're going to be up next. Welcome, Arthur. Eric, good to talk to you again. Two things. Um, a little piece of wisdom, if you ever want to know, if you ever want to understand anything a politician says, does, or promises to do, ask yourself one question. Whose vote is he trying to buy? Uh, yeah. Comment on the uh, on what they say behind closed doors versus publicly. I've been watching abortion very closely and the border situation very closely for a long time. You know, and it kind of became clear to me when I researched the Flores settlement back in the 80s that they re Congress really doesn't want to solve the problem. They mm -hmm. don't want to, and maybe that's because the two parties need to have something to argue about in their, you know, in the midterms and in the presidential election and in whatever. But that's the only thing I can figure out about, about the border situation. They just need to have something to argue about. Oh, they absolutely. Um, you know, th this is so much in Washington. These days. It's one of my chief frustrations with Washington is so many of the issues. They could fix them. Uh, but they'd rather argue over the issue and, and try to rally people. Like immigration is probably the best issue. Barack Obama and the Democrats controlled everything. They could have come up with some sort of uh, immigration reform package, but they would have preferred the campaign issue in 2010. They wanted to rally Hispanic voters and mitigate what they perceived as a Republican wave. Remember, Barack Obama went out and told Hispanic voters Republicans were their enemies. And it didn't work. Um, it's so cynical. Like take the Electoral College Act; they could get a bipartisan consensus to clarify that more. Uh, but they don't want to even do that right now. They'd rather campaign on the issue. It's silly. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I got a guest. He happens to be a friend of mine, and also happens to be a member of Congress. There's some breaking news to get him. Him. I can ambush him with as well. Congressman Jody Heist joins me. How are you? I'm doing great, Eric. Good to be with you. Hope you're doing great today. I am. Now I'm going to ambush you with this news that the, the U.S. Army says it's going to discharge any soldier who hasn't been vaccinated for COVID-19. I guess the Navy and the Marines have already done this. And I know you and I, we, we share we share a like opinion on this, this ridiculousness, but figured I better let you comment on it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's absolute ridiculousness. I had a meeting, in fact, this morning, and uh, this was one of the questions that I brought up. What in the world are we doing? Uh, people need to realize, Eric, that these type of mandates 
within our military, within any segment of our society, is unconstitutional. But when it comes to our military, not only is it unconstitutional, but it has a major impact on our national security and our readiness to defend our country and our military efforts. We are going to have a significant number. Some are saying as many as 20% of our military have to step out if these mandates were enforced. And when you're talking 20% of our military, these are men and women who have been well-trained. They know what they're doing. They are ready right now to defend America's interest. And if we are going to force them out of the military, it majorly puts us in a handicapped position and uh, it just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I, I just, particularly right now when we have so many national security issues on the horizon, uh, dealing with China, dealing with North Korea, dealing with Russia, dealing with Iran, uh, dealing with all the instability in the Middle East, and this is what the American government is dealing with, is firing soldiers for not getting a vaccine as opposed to actually trying to get the remaining Americans stuck in Afghanistan out of there. It just it, none of this seems right. And, and that raises the issue here on Afghanistan and all the we've still got Americans stuck over there and they've been there since August and can't get home. We still have uh, Americans in Afghanistan. In fact, my office alone, Eric, there's probably a couple of hundred that we are still to this day working, trying to get them out of Afghanistan. And unfortunately, the administration, the Biden administration, is totally quiet about that. They have moved on to yet another crisis of their own invention uh, and are trying to leave behind Afghanistan and a trail of other crises that they're putting our nation through. All the while, American citizens are in Afghanistan stuck, trapped, many of them, fearing for their own lives on a daily basis while this administration stays here going on one vacation after another and creating yet one crisis after another here in our own country. It is the most un-American thing I've ever seen in my life. We are watching, Eric, we're literally watching things that none of us ever in our wildest dreams would ever have imagined to become reality in America. And all of it has taken place in just what, 12 short months. The the speed with which this has happened is just as stunning as the crises created in themselves. Yeah, well said. It, and it has happened so fast. Uh, now, along the, something that hasn't, well, I guess, what what was it? Um, the, the Was it the Ernest Hemingway line? Um, uh, very slowly and then suddenly on, on bankruptcy or some such in, in one of his books, how something bad happened and, and slowly and then suddenly we've gotten to $30 trillion in our national debt. I saw our friend Chip Roy go on a tirade about it on Twitter last night. He was texting me at midnight, sending me the links to his tweets and it really is something $30 trillion in debt. Isn't that a national security issue? It, it is a national security issue. And listen, I'm right there with you. I love any time. Uh, Chip Roy is on a tirade. It's just a tirade. It's just like awesome. He is, he is one of the best that we have in Congress. I love Chip. But yeah, when you're when we're talking about this type of unbelievable national debt, it is absolutely a national crisis. And if for no other reason, which there there are many more reasons beyond this, but at what point are we no longer able to continue uh, everything from research and development for our uh, military? 
our uh, our strength in that regard, but even paying our military and and doing the things that are absolutely required, uh, our, be it our southern border or elsewhere, like now we're facing in the Ukraine. You simply cannot spend more money that you take in without, at some point, it coming back to bite you. And we are, I believe, at that point. We have got to stop this crazy spending. Some $7 trillion new spending just in this last year. Uh, This is so uh, insanely uh, out out of proportion from what we can afford uh, it really has become a significant national security issue. Now, I, I know I can have this conversation with you and, and you won't take it personally or, or be insulted by it because we see eye to eye on this, but Republicans, a lot of them helped get us to this point as well. It wasn't just the Democrats. Uh, and it seems like when Republicans control everything, they spend just as much and then browbeat people like you who don't want to go along with it. But it looks like with the Republicans probably going to take back Congress this year, knock on wood, maybe they will actually stand up and fight the Biden administration and, and not be browbeating someone like you for wanting to tackle this issue? I, I hope you're exactly right, uh, Eric. And I tell you, you know, I've said it a thousand times, but there are two two different groups in D.C. that are absolutely addicted to spending money, and that is the Democrats and the Republicans. And they, they both have been guilty so uh, often over the, the decades. And uh, I am so hopeful that what you say is accurate. All, you, you, you do all you can in talking and screaming and letters and uh, resolutions and whatever can be done to try to bring some economic common sense to this place. And I, I just get a sense that the Republican conference at this point is fully aware that what has happened this past year economically is unsustainable, that we have to get our financial house in order. And I am hopeful, deeply hopeful, that what you say will be the reality, that when the Republicans take back control, they'll take this issue seriously and deal with it. I hope so. Now, let me ask you a practical issue here. I know you're on the Committee on Natural Resources, and a federal judge has just stopped the Interior Department from allowing uh, gas and uh, petroleum leases in the Gulf of Mexico because they say the Interior Department did not adequately assess uh, the future climate change impact of of giving these leases, and it's just going to drive up oil and gas prices in the country. It continues to me to feel like the Democratic policies on climate change and what they're allowing left-wing judges to get away with. This guy was an Obama-appointed judge. Uh, it, it feels like they're allowing the left to engage in a war against the poor uh, because all of their policy solutions on this, uh, the rich can cover and nobody who's poor can. Well, that's right. But uh, you go beyond that. I mean, the, the practical, practical outcome of these type of policies, every one of us feel at the gas pump, just for example, uh, national average was pushing $4 or whatever it is now, Per gallon, um, you know. Look again. A year ago, we were energy independent. Uh, we were literally not only independent, but we were selling oil to other places around the world. Today, we are once again dependent upon other countries. Some of those countries, in fact, are our enemies. But here we are in this situation. All the while, uh, Biden has also provided uh, the uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline for Russia to supply oil 
to uh, Europe. It's like, what are we thinking here? This None of this makes sense. Uh, and now you add to it, you're right, the, the uh, resources that we have in the Gulf of Mexico and other places in this country that have been shut down, restricted from drilling, restricted from finding oil, restricted from uh, processing the oil that we already have. Uh, none of this makes sense. Uh, even from a climate change perspective, if a part person wants to argue that, we look at what's happening in China. They could care less about right. climate issues. They are producing everything they need to, uh, strengthening their economy while, again, weakening ours. We've got to understand what's at stake. We are in a global uh, setting, and we must be wise in our economic decisions from all perspectives. Otherwise, we just continue to put ourselves behind the eight ball, and in doing so, we're putting our liberties at risk. That's so well said. It is. Congressman, listen, uh, it is always, I, I, I hate, I don't talk to you enough these days and between your schedule and mine, but my gosh, I enjoy having you on. And it's always good to talk to you. Likewise, Eric. Thank you so much. Look forward Absolutely. to being with you in a couple of weeks, by the way. You too. Take care. Congressman Jody Heiss, uh, he is a, a running for Secretary of State in Georgia. Um, won't be in Congress again after this time. Just one of the nicest, profoundly nicest people that I know in politics. Really enjoy him. Let's go to the phones here. Dan, uh, we mentioned Ukraine and, and the border issue with Congressman Heist. Dan wants to talk about it. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you very much for having me on. I have one question. Sure. The question is this. Why are we sending our United States troops to protect the Ukrainian border when they ought to be sending them down to the south to protect our southern border? Well, you know, I agree we got to protect our southern border. Uh, my, my answer is to both. we gotta We got to deal with this Ukraine situation. I've talked about this at length and in just nutshell for those of you who are new to the program. Like why why does he think we need to send people to Ukraine? Because this is only the beginning for Russia. Uh, if if they sense our weakness, they're gonna start going after real allies. Nobody wants to go to war over Ukraine. Nobody does. But there's also a fundamental understanding that it is small surrenders are gonna lead to very big wars. But we gotta secure the border, and you know this is still an issue. I meant to talk about it yesterday. There was I forget what the news was yesterday. That I, I guess it was it was the Tom Brady stuff that we covered. The, do you know that the southern border continues to show up in polling? And I, I, I the the Biden administration I guess has given up on this. The media typically is not covering the southern border as an issue right now, but it is consistently showing up in polls still as something the public cares about. The Biden administration isn't doing anything at the southern border, but border counties, it turns out, there's some polling out there. You know, there's been a shift in Hispanic voters along the southern border, not just them around the country, but one of the big issues at the southern border, one of the shifts to the GOP has been the issue with the border. All these people who took the time, they and their their ancestors, generations back to come to the United States, assimilate into the country, become Americans, and now we're just letting people walk across the border and we're not doing anything. It's gotten bad. The cartels are down there. In fact, there was a report out last week. This is what I want to talk about yesterday. It turns out we're finding Ukrainians coming into the United States across the Mexican border. Fox News and others have documented this. And, you know, if it was just Fox, the rest of the media would ignore it. But it wasn't just them. I think Reuters and a few others have noted one of the major uh, immigrant communities we're finding now are Ukrainians who can't come directly into this country, so they're flying into Mexico and heading north. Russians probably as well. And listen, if they can do it, you know our enemies can do it as well. 
It is a national security issue, just like our national debt is a national security issue. It is amazing to me, profoundly insane, that this administration is not doing anything they can to, to defend our border. And I get why some people are scratching their heads. Why are we defending Ukraine when we won't even defend our border? There are reasons that we need to deal with the Ukrainian issue, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't also deal with our issues here and our border here. It's just insanity to me, and it's becoming a political issue. It is hurting the Biden administration. We are in February of the midterms, uh, six months after coverage began to fade about the border crisis, and yet people still believe it is an issue just like their perceptions of Biden's competence were shaped in Afghanistan. Uh, his competence on the border is still being uh, showing up in the polling as something that voters are quick to condemn, as they should. It's a big national security issue. Listen, if climate change is a national security issue, and the Biden administration says it is, our poorest border, given the numbers of people that we've been finding down there who aren't even from Central and South America but flying in from abroad, to get up to the border, it's becoming a national security issue that we fundamentally should deal with. All right. Got that off my chest. Now, I need to tell you about Eden Pure and the Eden Pure Thunderstar, the Eden Pure air purifier. Uh, that is the thing that I use in my house, in the kitchen. We, I won't, my wife got mad when I went into the details, but we, we don't have a, um, we, we don't have a, downdraft or an updraft in our kitchen anymore kind of broke so if we want to fry something in the kitchen we got a couple options we can open the windows but you know sometimes we're cold outside or it's hot or there's a lot of pollen or we can run the essential oil diffuser stuff and just mask the odors or what we do is we run the eden pure thunderstorm the eden pure thunderstorm is an air purifier and it cleans the air. It doesn't just mask the odors, it eliminates the odors, but it also gets rid of the bacteria, the mildew, the mold that's floating in your house. In fact, you can go get three of them right now. They've changed up their website. This threw me off and I was like, Eden Pure, what? It's not the lightning, it's it's the thunderstorm. And it, it just, it discombobulated me because I went to EdenPureDeals.com and it just threw me off. Because normally you used to go, you'd have a list of the, the radio show host and you click me and, and then you get it. But now instead, what you do is when you go to EdenPureDeals.com, you're met with a box that says put in your host code and you put in Eric3, E-R-I-C-K-3. And the Eden Pure OxyLeaf 2 Thunderstorm 3 units will come up. And it is, the list price, $387. But if you add it to your cart and then you view your cart, you will go to, you'll see an orange checkout button and you click the checkout button. And when you click the checkout button, you will see a discount code or radio code offer, and you put in Eric3, and boom, suddenly you get a $200 discount. And the $387 becomes $187, a $200 discount for three of these things, and they really work. That's less than $200 for three of the thunderstorms, the, the Eden Pure Air Purifiers, and they're filterless, so you don't, have any, you don't even have to do a subscription for the air filter for the product. You just wipe it out every once in a while, and it works. It eliminates the odors. Three of them for less than $200 with free shipping from EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, ERIC3. And they take PayPal, credit cards, Apple Pay, Shop Pay, you name it. EdenPureDeals.com, ERIC3 is the discount code at checkout. These things work. 
So, uh, prayer request in all seriousness, pray for Senator Ben Ray Luan. He is the Senator, Democratic Senator from New Mexico. He has had a stroke. This is a weird situation for the Democrats who have a 50-50 Senate. Luan's staff did not even tell senators that he had had a stroke last week. They found out yesterday from press reports as word started leaking out from New Mexico that he wouldn't be back. He was recovering from the stroke. Now, obviously, uh, he deserves some privacy, but also this affects the United States government. There's a Supreme Court nomination coming, and it can't get through the Senate when you've got uh, 50 Republicans and 49 Democrats But this doesn't transfer control of the Senate to McConnell because the guy is still technically on the rolls of the Senate, even though he can't show up for work. It's made the Democrats realize just how vulnerable they are. I mean, take, for example, Joe Manchin. If something were to happen to him, a Republican governor would appoint a Republican to replace him or the two Democrats in Arizona or Pat Leahy in Virginia or in in Vermont, where Vermont actually has a Republican governor. And there's no law in the books that requires that a someone of the same party be appointed. Or, or in Georgia, Warnock and, and Ossoff. Now, they're, they're healthy and young, but, you know, Leahy is the oldest member of the Senate. Um, and you got all these elderly senators, some of them in states with Republican governors. It's perilous times to be a Democrat in the Senate in Washington, and you know they can't get anything done. Joe Manchin yesterday was asked by a reporter if there's any movement at all on Build Back Better. And he said, you mean that thing? No, it died. It's not coming back. Build Back Better dead. He wants something but a small package with the Democrats. Maybe they'll get something before the election. But it's real hard to get anything when one of your senators is not there. In all seriousness, though, pray for him. Man, um, strokes can be something. He's going to recover, thankfully. But keep him in your prayers. Ben Ray Lujan, senator from New Mexico. Well, it's 2022 and things are, well, they're still kind of nuts. And you know, with the Federal Reserve and interest rates, a lot of banks, they didn't want to help a small business to begin with. They like the big businesses. So where do you go as a small business to get to yes on a loan that you need, access to financing that you can use to build a building, buy a building, buy a fleet of vehicles, something big. You see opportunities and the banks, they just want to tell you no. That's where the Frost family, friends of mine at First Liberty Building and Loan come in. They've been doing this since the 1990s. They help small businesses become big businesses, and they might be able to help you. Spend 10 minutes with them. You need a loan, $750,000 or more? Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. That's firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Tell them Eric sent you. Spend 10 minutes with them. Walk through their process. See if you're a fit for them, and they're a fit for you. They help small businesses nationwide. They want to help your small business if they can. FirstLibertyGA.com.